A few weeks ago, I, I received a newsletter. And I get newsletters from different places just to keep up with things. And as I was glancing over it, I, I skimmed an article that was uh, about a, an author who had written a book titled, You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader. And in the book, he, he's basically saying things about comparing a resume with a legacy, with what's the difference. And he lists several things in the, in the book about what he would consider this would make up a resume. And these factors would be those things that would list a, a legacy or make a life of living a legacy in our, as we try to be people that make a difference in the world in which we are. It, it just kind of began to explode across my mind. I began to think about that, and I began to look at my own life and wonder, what kind of life am I living? Am I living a life that, that's built around making up a resume, building up a resume, glorifying myself, pointing out all the things that I've done and am doing in my life? Or have I lived a life, or am I trying at least to live a life that has the kind of impact that will live beyond my life, that will move beyond who I am and what I've done and make a difference in the lives of people around me, make a difference in those who follow after me? It just began to come, and thoughts began to come quickly and quickly. I began to write them down on paper, and, and I'd write down another thought and another thought, and I had uh, several pages of thoughts that just came in and scripture passages that, that just came to my mind as I began to look at that, and I wondered... What's all this mean and what am I supposed to do with this as I look at it and as I think about it? Can I make any sense out of this? Can I present it in some way that, that teaches something for myself but also for those that maybe God would give me the opportunity to share these thoughts with as we look at it? I don't know for sure this morning if I can make sense out of it the way I would like to. The, the thoughts are so many and they just keep erupting in my mind as I think about it. But I think I have to try to share with you some of the things that I believe God is trying to teach me in the realm of this difference between living a resume or living a legacy. As we think about this new year, 2017, what will we do with it? What difference should it make in your life and in my life as Christians in 2017? What should be the goal? What should be our desire in this life that God has given to us in these days that we look at it? And so I want to look at that together with you and just share a few thoughts with you this morning about what I believe God is teaching me. And I pray that in the process of that, maybe somehow there will be a word that God has for you as well that you can hear and that you can listen to and that will speak into your life and maybe together, somehow this year, you and I as a people of God could determine that we're going to do more this year than we've ever done before to make our lives legacy lives rather than just about building up our own resumes about ourselves and what we want and what we desire in our own lives. So many scriptures that come to mind. I'm going to just read a couple of them out of the book of Matthew to start with and mention to them, first of all, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, and then move over to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. So Matthew 6 and Matthew 16 are going to be the places that we're going to look together this morning. And as you find your place in the Word of God, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word and allow it to speak to our hearts. First of all, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus is speaking and he speaks these words, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And then in chapter 16, and in verse 24, the scripture says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, already you have blessed us in an amazing way through the music that's been sung, the prayers that have been prayed, the opportunity to be together as a people of God in your house. What a wondrous invitation it is that you extend to us to come together, to meet with you and to experience what you've prepared for us to be able to know that the loving God of the universe, the creator of all things, has invited us into your presence and chosen to speak to our hearts and to teach us and to grow us and develop us into the people that you would want us to be. Father, I pray this morning that you'd speak into my heart your truth. And I pray somehow that you would allow that truth to, to move through me into the lives of those that have gathered here. We're not here by accident. We're not here, Father, because of any other reason that, but you have chosen, invited us, and encouraged us and wooed us into this place together this morning. And because we are here under the sound of your word and under the authority of your word and because we are here as a people of God, I pray we've come submitted to what you want to teach us, ready to learn, ready to grow. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen. You know, as we look at it, I, I just want to take a few moments to think about resume building with you and talk about what it talks about. As I mentioned before, it, you know, building a resume, there's nothing really particularly in and of itself that's wrong with having a resume. We all have done that probably in our lifetimes. We've had a resume so we can get a job. We put together our experience. We put together the things that we've done and the things that help us to understand what's going on. And so to get a job, we put a resume together. We submit that resume to the place in hopes that they'll look at it. It'll get their attention and maybe we'll be considered for the job or to get a, a more improved status in our life. And so in and of itself, there's nothing particularly wrong with a resume. It's something that we use. It's, it helps to give us life. But there's something within the context of a resume that if we're not careful can be used in our lives to begin to develop pride, can turn us away from the things that we ought to have and move us in a way to where we may think everything is about us and about the way we live and the things that we want in our life. See, inherent within a resume is self. It's about me. It's all about what I have done and all about what I have accomplished and all about all the things that, that refer to me. It, it really helps to develop, if I'm not careful, a sense of pride. It builds up my ego. It begins to make me believe that, you know, the world revolves around who I am and what I do and what I have done and everyone else ought to see how great I am as much as I see how great I am. It just kind of begins to be that kind of thing if we're not careful. Now, it doesn't have to be that by any means, but that danger is there, that, that possibility that that resume can become the focus of our lives and we begin to live that way in such a way that we want everything to be about us and about what we're doing in our life and what we're accomplishing in our life. Ever since man turned against God in the Garden of Eden, we have been in the process of being resume builders. We've made life about ourselves. All of religion is about building a resume. It's about trying to say to God, look how worthy I am. Look how much I deserve to be saved. Look how much I deserve to have a relationship to you. You ought to save me. You owe me salvation because of all that I've done. And we begin to try to prove that. We even believe begin to believe if we're not careful that maybe not only are we worthy of God's love but that we might even ourselves deserve to be God's we just lift ourselves up we think so much of ourselves and so much of what's going on and I know that's true within the world but what saddens me what frightens me is how true it is within the church 
that we think life is about us, that we somehow begin to believe that everything's all that we are and everything that's going on and the things that lead us to being a part of this as we look at it. One person has said it this way, a man wrapped up in himself is a very small bundle. And that's true. A person wrapped up in ourselves, when we begin to think everything is about us, the whole world becomes very small in all that we're doing. The Bible's full of examples about people who, who built and thought that resume building was the essence of life, what they were supposed to be about. I can just name a few of you for the sake of time this morning. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, you'll remember, he built a great empire and he began to proclaim, look what a great king I am and what a great emperor I am. Look at all the things that I have accomplished and all the things that I have done. And God's response to him was that he got the privilege of living like a beast of a field for a number of years in the time is going on. Or we might look at Herod in the New Testament. And there he proclaimed how, what a great man he was. And the Bible says even as he was making his speech there in the book of Acts that the worms began to eat him up and destroy him and the things that were going on and being a part of his time. Ananias and Sapphira, we can think about them. They wanted to be a resume. They said, let's give some money to the church. Let's sell our land and give money to the church so everybody will look at us, but let's not tell the truth. Let's let them know we gave a certain amount of money. We sold it for this amount. We gave it all, but we'll keep some of it for ourselves. And God struck them dead in the process of what was going on. Jesus encountered the Pharisees and scribes over and over again and talked to them about how much they were worried about their resumes and so little about their relationship to God. You do all the things on the outside, but you don't have a heart for God. You're not living for Christ. You're not making God's word the truth of all that you are and living for that in your life. Even the disciples, we find them in Matthew 20 arguing with one another. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? I want my resume to say that I'm number one disciple. I'm the greatest. And Jesus confronted them with that truth of what was going on as we look at that and as we see. And on and on we could go through scripture. The Bible is full of examples of people who somehow got it in their head that the thing about life is living it for myself, building up myself, making myself important, gathering things for myself, having life mean something to me and forgetting that life is not about me, but it's about God. It's about the God who developed us, the God who created us and all that's going on in our lives as we look at it and as we see that. Jeremiah chapter 17 in verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And the verse 10 goes on to say that God searches the heart so he knows your heart, he knows my heart and though we may be doing things on the outside that look pleasing to men, God knows that the motivation of our heart is simply to uplift ourselves, to glorify ourselves. If we're not careful, we find ourselves teaching Sunday school or singing in the choir or preaching a sermon or doing the things that we're doing not because we want to glorify God, not because we want to honor him and we want to help people reach into the kingdom and find life themselves, but because we want people to pat us on the back because we want people to think that we deserve something because we want people to believe that we're such great Christians and such great servants of God and it becomes all about us. That's resume building. That, that's what's there. Again, it doesn't have to be that way. It's not set up to where it's just without a question what's going to be the answer but if we're not careful, Satan uses that idea, that concept and he begins to move into our lives and he begins to create that sense of pride, that sense of desire to magnify ourselves, to lift ourselves up, to be greater than what we really are in the lives of people around us as we look at it. A person who feels like it's more important to draw attention to themselves and lives their life that person can't honor God in their life. But what about being a legacy liver on the other side? 
Henry David Thoreau said, it's not enough that one is busy. The question is, what are you busy about? What is it that you're doing? John Eldridge said, the story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. See, Satan doesn't care about your resume. I mean, he's, in fact, he will help you to build your resume. He wants you to believe that more important than anything else is you. And he will do everything that he can. He'll build up your resume. He'll make you appear to be the greatest thing that ever hit this earth. He's happy with that. But he trembles when any of us decide that more importantly than me is God. And I want to live my life in such a way that God gets all the honor that God gets the glory, that God is the one that people see, that God is the one that people remember in the things that are going on and being a part of that as we look at it and as we understand that. What you and I need to understand this morning is no one else, no one has ever lived your life. No one else will ever live your life. See, our lives are not some one-size-fits-all jacket that we pass from one generation to the next generation and we all just live the same way. No, you're unique. You're different than any person that's ever walked the face of this earth and there will never be another you in all the time that, that the world exists that's going on. Each one of us has something unique and wondrous to, to participate in and to be a part of as we live out our lives, as we become the people that God intends us to be in all the things that are going on and being a part of that time. In his book, Thursdays with Moses, Brad Dinsmore has Moses say these words. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what are we willing to die for? I think maybe a better question would be, what are we willing to live for? Day in and day out, what is worth our time, our resources? What are we willing to be consumed by? I think that's a good thought. What are we willing to live for? All of us ask ourselves questions when we hear some of these atrocious stories of slaughter around the world, when we hear about the dynamic lives of people of faith in other places of the world when they lay down their lives for the refusal to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask ourselves, would we be willing to die for Christ? Would we be willing to be so bold that we wouldn't deny our faith, but that we would stand up as they have and we would lay down our lives as necessary? And we all would like to believe, put in that situation, we would. We hope we're never in that situation. We pray we never face that kind of time, but we would like to believe that were we to be there, we would be willing to die for our faith. But the bigger question, the question that you and I need to answer for 2017 is, is there, is there anyone in this place this morning that would be willing to live for your faith? That'd be willing to become alive for what Christ Jesus is? Would you be willing to live in such a way that every bit of you is consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory and for his purpose and for all that he desires in life? Would you be willing to hear the word of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, unless you are willing to die to yourself, you can't, don't even bother to come after me. You can't follow me. Because as long as there's an iota of the desire to build your own resume in your life, you can't be my disciple. You can't follow after me because it's not about you. It's not about who you are. Are we willing to live for Christ? What if you and I, just think about it for a moment. What if you and I today, in this moment, were to decide my life is going to make an eternal difference this year for the glory of God? 
I'm going to give my life to God. And it's going to make an eternal difference for him. What if we were to just make that decision this morning? What could it do in the world around us? You see, we were created by a great God saved to do great works according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We have been created, we've been saved in order that we might do mighty things for the kingdom of God. Are we doing those things for God? Are we living in such a way that people all around us are just being astonished with the God that we serve, amazed at how great he is, just overwhelmed with the reality that God is such a powerful God, such a loving God, such a God of demonstration? Are we seeing him in the fullness of of who he is? And are we allowing people to see him through us as we look at it and as we understand that? The Bible has some examples of those kind of people too. The Bible says that God called Abraham a friend of God. It says that of Moses, there was no man like Moses as humble as Moses. It says of David, here was a man who lived after my own heart. The Bible goes on and talks about so many others as we would look at them. Enoch walked with God. The scripture talks about him as we would look at him. John the Baptist, the Bible says, Jesus speaking of him, of of men born of women, there's no one greater than he. Barnabas was called an encourager because he understood that the scripture that God desires for every born again believer to be an encourager. See, anytime you and I do anything in our life that discourages somebody else, anytime we use negative words against someone, anytime we attack someone, anytime we say things that bring harm to them, we are sinning against a holy God. Because the Bible commands us, it doesn't suggest, it doesn't offer a possibility, it commands us to be encouragers, that you and I are to be the kind of people who pour courage into other people, who cause them to see the possibility of who they could be because of what God is doing in their lives. And we're to be doing that all the time as we look at that. If we began to do that kind of thing, if we began to look, what are we doing? What are, how are we doing legacy living? Have you led anyone to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever taken the time to to tell somebody the greatest story that's ever been told and share with them how they could be loved by God and be born into his kingdom and be forever forgiven and have a home that's there? Have you ever bothered to invest your life in someone and cause them to be able to believe in themselves and to, to think maybe they have value and they have worth themselves? Have you ever paused for a little bit of time and helped someone to, to envision a dream for their life and to believe that that dream is possible, that they might be able to fulfill that dream, that they might be able to? Have you bothered to disciple someone? Do you have someone that you're helping to grow in Christ, that you're helping them to understand the Bible and learning what it means to pray and learning what it means to share their faith in order that they in turn can turn around and disciple somebody else? Are you investing your life in anyone? Do you believe in anyone? Are you praying for anyone? Are you teaching anyone? Are you saying, here's my time? I know it's va- my time is more valuable than anything I have to offer, but I offer it to you freely and willingly. I give you whatever time you need to help you become whatever it is God's wanting to do in your life. That's the kind of people that live legacies. That's the kind of people who make an eternal, lasting difference. The Zulus have a greeting when translated, it says, I see you. How many people in this congregation do you see? Oh, you say, I see them every week. We come in, we go out, we greet. But have you seen any of them? Have you ever looked at one of them and said, I see you. You matter. You are important. 
That's when we begin to learn how to live legacy lives. It's when we see each other. When we really think and understand that other people matter. One person has said to the world, you might be one person. But to one person, you might be the world. Are you willing to do that? Many of you, or some of you, y'all are a lot younger than I am, might remember the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. It's a great, great movie. It's about a man who was a musician, and his dream was to write an opus. It was to become a great musician, to write something that make him give him fame and fortune and, and, and lasting in all of his music. He, he wanted to do that. But in, in the meantime, he was kind of diverted because of circumstances, he, and he began teaching music in high school. It wasn't what he wanted to do. It really wasn't his plan for life, but it's what he needed to do. And so he began to teach music in high school. But he was still in the back of his mind. He had this dream. Someday I'm going to write this great symphony. I'm going to write this great musical piece that's going to just be amazing to everyone. And so every night after he put in a full day at work, he would go home and he would sit down at the piano and he would work diligently for hours and hours. And this went on and on. But finally, there reached a point in time because of family demands and, and, and work demands and things that were there, he finally realized one day that dream is only a dream. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to write that piece of music that's been in my heart all of my life. And he just devoted himself to teaching the students. For 35 years, he taught in his school in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, where he was. And he reached a point toward the end of his time when the school had decided because of financial things and other things going on that they were going to drop music and some of the other arts and just not have them any longer. He fought with everything that he had to convince them how important music was and how important it was to keep that in the curriculum. But he lost that battle and, and they voted to move music out. It wasn't going to be a part of it anymore. And the movie ends with him in his office going through and collecting his things and putting it on boxes, some of the memorial things of his life, of teaching, things that had happened. He gathers his stuff up. His son and his, his wife are with him and they begin to walk down the hall to leave the school for the last time. But as they walk by the auditorium, there, here's some commotion, and everybody should have been gone. School's been long out, and everything's over. And so he opens the door to see what all the noise is about. And as he opens the door, everyone in the auditorium stands and begins to give him a great ovation and just kept continuing to clap and to, 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 for him as he looked at it. His wife went to the podium because she had been in on some of this and, and kind of stalled for a little while until the MC arrived. The MC was the governor of Oregon who happened to be one of the first students that Mr. Holland had taught in his class when he first began. And she looked at, at Mr. Holland and she looked out across the audience there and she said, Mr. Holland feels as though his life is a failure. That he never was able to accomplish the things that he wanted to accomplish. He couldn't write that symphony. He didn't get the fame and fortune. He's not rich and famous. No one knows him very much, maybe outside of those of us here in this little town. But Mr. Holland, I want you to know your life has more rich and fame than you ever dreamed and thought of. Everyone here, including myself, has been affected by you. We're all better people because of you. We are your symphony. We are the music. We are the notes of your great masterpiece. We are your symphony.
of life. That's legacy living. Forgetting about ourselves and pouring ourselves into someone else for their glory, their benefit, but most of all, for the glory of God. I wonder what will people say about us when our lives are over. Steve Green had a great song when he said, will those who come behind us find us faithful? Will the devotion, the fire of our lives cause them to want to follow Christ and, and walk after him? Brian Free and Assurance have a great song, I Want to Be That Man, when it talks about the fact that I want to be that kind of man that, that loves God the way the word commands and, and, and leads my family as I hold on to the hand of God. That's legacy living. When we want more than anything else for the people who follow after us to know Christ, to walk with Christ, there's no greater gift a parent can give their child than the gift of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater gift a grandparent can give their grandchildren than the gift of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not important if our, those who follow after us can say, oh, man, that was the greatest teacher I ever had. Or, man, they built business after business after business. They were successful. They were the key to our society. What will matter is when they stand at the grave of our lives, will any of them be able to say, he lived for God. He lived for God in everything that he did, in all that he was. Can they say that about you? Can they say that about me? Would the testimony of God be for you or me that we're friends of God, that we're more humble than anyone else, that our heart seeks him more than it seeks anything else? Or will God have to say of us, they lived for themselves, and all that they did was burn up his wood, hay, and stubble and didn't last. Don't lay up treasure for yourself here, but with God where it lasts forever. God has opened the door of a new year for each of us. and He's invited us to step into 2017 to make an eternal difference. The question for us is, Will we continue to be resume builders or will we determine to lay down our lives as those who want to build a legacy for the glory of God? The choice is ours. The decision is yours. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we gather together in this place, We've come because we love you and because we desire to be your people the way you want us to be. Sometimes it's easy because of the kind of world we live in and the things and circumstances of life to get so caught up not only in the world but in the church of making everything about ourselves and forgetting that everything needs to be about you. We put ourselves on a pedestal and we make everybody else around us less than we are. And even though your word tells us that those who compare themselves with others are foolish, we do it anyway. 
But God, I pray this morning that in my life, you would help me to have the desire, the hunger, the longing to live a life for you. To leave a legacy of faith, of hope. A legacy that points to you in every direction. God, don't let me get so caught up in building my own resume that I lose sight of the one who gave himself for me and lives in me forever. Father, in just a moment as we have an invitation, we're going to invite people to come to this altar and lay down their resume and put it to death and to stand up and walk back to their seats with a determination to let 2017 be a year of living a legacy for the glory of God. There may be other decisions here. Some may need to trust Christ as Savior. Some need a church home. Some need to renew their life. Some need to surrender to full-time ministry. Whatever it may be, this is your invitation, and we surrender it to you. But God, we're asking that you, having spoken to our hearts, would give us the confidence and the courage to stand up and make the decision that you placed in our heart. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.